So if you have your Bible, who's got their Bible already? You found out Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read, uh, Jack, if you want to throw it up as we go, I'm going to read from verse 15 to 23, um, and then I've got a handful of ideas that we can talk about before we finish. Um, It says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that He has given to those who He has called, His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power, which is for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who then fills all things everywhere with himself. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here and we choose to open up our hearts to you. Lord, we don't want to read the Bible just like we'd read any other book, but we want, Lord, these words of Scripture, these words of yours to impact our heart, to impact our mind, to impact our behavior and our lives, Lord God. And by doing so, Lord, we pray that you would impact this city with your love, with your kindness, and with your grace. Lord God, I pray for everyone struggling this morning to concentrate. Lord, I pray that their, that their mind would be, would be flooded with light, just as, you, as the apostle prayed in this passage. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be filled with love from you, Lord God, that we'd be able to grow and we'd be able to become everything that you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. Do you know, there is, um, there's much about the modern world that lacks reality. Have you noticed this? There's a lot of what we do that's just simply not real. The, probably the, 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 the best example of this is this thing called reality TV. It's not real life, and it's not even real TV. It's the opposite of reality TV. It's not real TV. Real TV is like Batman or, or Pokemon, you know. Uh, these are real TV shows with episodes uh, that are created just to entertain, whereas reality TV is not, it's not a good reality, and it's not even good TV. It's just nonsense. But you've got, added to that, you've got just the general celebrity culture. But what about you've got modern approaches to economics? Do you know what I mean? A lot of it's just not real. It's not real in the same way that a brick is real. Do you know it's, it's, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a dynamic to our modern life that doesn't really land on the ground, right? It sort of just lives in people's imaginations. You know, you've got cinema and television, all those other normal things, but they can create for us a world that is not as real as we'd like to think it is, right? And I think as Christians, we need to get real, On so many levels, part of our journey in following Christ to heaven is learning how to live a real life on earth. I think one of the realities is is that so much of Christianity is robbed by uh, like by by like by like um, I call it a fantasy theology. 
that we, we, where we sort of think that our Christianity is lived in our heart and it's lived in our spirit or it's lived in our mind, um, but it doesn't really affect real life. Well, I think that Jesus was everything the opposite of that. Jesus was this real dude. He was, he was a carpenter who lived in a village. Even when he did his first miracle, it was at a family wedding, and he only did the miracle because his mum told him to. He literally tried to argue with his mum, but the argument doesn't go on. You can, you can tell, if you read the story, you can tell that his mum had just looked at him, right? She says, hey, they run out of wine. Jesus says, yeah, but it's not my time yet. And then there's nothing. There's no more conversation. So I imagine Mary looks at Jesus. It's not his time. Okay, it's not his time. She looks at Jesus, and then she says to the servants, do do whatever he tells you to do, and this miracle happens. Right, it's a family wedding where there's a practical problem, and his mum bosses him into doing this first miracle. How real is real? Like, that's real. If you think about why, why the Jewish people missed seeing Jesus when he arrived, and missed recognizing him as the Son of God, it's because they had a fantasy theology as well. They read the Old Testament prophecies, and they were imagining some sort of a fantasy Messiah, this Messiah that rides in on a, on a magical dragon and, and sort of destroys Rome and, and then sets up this eternal kingdom where he rules and reigns in peace and prosperity, and, and then all of the problems just sort of disappear by magic. It's like a, a fairy godmother Messiah. It's not too distant from a Christian sort of fantasy theology that we just, there's no point really engaging in the real world. No point, you know, when I was at high school, people, some Christians would say, there's no point going to university because Jesus is coming back anyway. Do you know what I mean? Well, there's no point, you know, there's no point buying your own home. There's no point saving for the future because Jesus is coming back anyway and the whole world's just going to burn and then there's no real, you know, because they've got this idea that Jesus is sort of mystical and mysterious, uh, which he is. He's, pow- he's powerfully mysterious. But he also touches the real world. Uh, he walks around the place, if you read the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, there's less mysterious things happening than there are normal things happening. They're eating, they're walking, they're talking. There's sick people, there's, people, there's uh, mental, mentally ill people, demon-possessed people, there's storms, right? Even right at the end of the Gospel of John, there's this awesome moment where Jesus reconciles the disciples back to him after their backsliding. And he's cooking fish on an open fire. Because he's, he's reconciling. Well, how do, you, how, do you, how do you make friends with people? How, how do you reconcile a broken relationship? Well, you, you share a meal together, don't you? And unless you're some sort of a mystical weirdo, then you don't, right? But if you're a real person, like a real ordinary person like Jesus was, you cook some people a meal, you invite them to the meal, and you talk about the issues just like Jesus did. I reckon we need to get for real. We need to get real, right? And we need, to, we need to embrace the reality of this massive plan that God's doing called the gospel. We've got to embrace it, and we've got to allow it to land in the real world. This massive gospel. That's why God does miracles of healing, to remind us that it's about the real world. You know, the lady whose back was healed was in the mosh pit the next day at the coffee. She wasn't just healed. She was healed, healed, Right? Uh, and that's real, like a real healing. You know, I reckon that's awesome, don't you reckon? Well, there's a bunch of things that Paul prays for in this passage. Um, and I think it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, 
uh, is probably the most of all the writers of the Gospels. He's the, probably the high of the, of the Bible, actually. He's probably one of the higher educated ones. So Moses was really well educated. A bunch of the other ones were really educated. They were scribes or whatever. And, and Paul was a, a really well educated writer in the New Testament, right? So he's super smart. How many people know that Paul was super smart? He's writing to the Ephesians and they're Greek thinkers. And it's a big city in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. It was a massive trading city. He's writing to intelligent people. But I love what he does in this passage. He says, I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, it says in the old versions. In the version I read, it says, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light. Why is he praying? I pray, that, I pray that you'd understand this. I pray that you'd understand the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus, right? This, this real gloriousness. Why is he praying it? Because the reality is you can't actually explain it. Because it's glorious, right? Um, you know, Jesus said this interesting thing. He said that the people in the grip of the most powerful spiritual blindness are the people who think they see the best. See, Paul's praying in this passage, and we should pray, because all of our thinking and studying, doesn't matter how smart we are, it's not going to get us there. Paul's praying in this passage, because for things to get real in our life, we can't just engage intellectually, we need to bring our whole being to it and allow the revelation of God to impact our world. I think too often we're robbed by our own thinking rather than allowing our thinking to drive us to a real connection with God. Paul's motivated to pray for, because of a couple of things. There's a couple of things he's heard about. It says at the start, when I heard about your strong faith and your love for Christians everywhere, then he says, I, don't, I, I never stop thanking God for you. And I pray that your hearts will be open, that you get this revelation of the glory of God, this gloriousness of who God is, His plan, the wonder of who He is. Now, well, what, I don't know what motivates you to pray, but Paul's got this, this bursting out prayer that he claims to pray constantly for the Ephesian church. What's motivating him to pray is that he's, he hasn't heard that they're in trouble. He hasn't heard that they're stupid and they need help. He hasn't heard that they've got moral deficiency. He's heard about their strong faith and their love for Christians everywhere, and his heart explodes in prayer. Why? Because why is Paul excited about them? Why is he asking for this, this revelation to hit them? It's because, I think it's because he knows that God must be working in them. God's working in them. He's heard that they've got strong faith and he's, got, he's heard that they love other people, right? They've got a strong faith and they love other people, which is evidence of one thing and one thing only. It's evidence that God is working inside of them. And because he knows God's working inside of them, he's praying that God would open their mind and open their heart and open their understanding. So often we think we've got to get our behavior right. We've got to sort our moral deficiencies, and we do. We do need to sort out our moral deficiencies, right? So often we think we need to. We just need to get our life organized. Sometimes we need to think we we need to get smarter. We need to finish our university studies. We need to do this. Or we need to do that. But the reality is, we need to open up our heart and let God begin to work. 
We've got to let God begin working in our heart because that's the foundation of this revelation that Paul begins to pray through. It begins with a strong faith. Has anyone got a strong faith this morning? Does anyone believe in Jesus? Yeah, because we've got to have a strong faith. We've got to have a strengthening faith, I think is the best word. Because if your faith was strong yesterday and it's not as strong now, but still strong, that's not what we're after. We need a strengthening faith. We need to be believing more in Jesus now than we did last year. Do you do do that? Do you believe more in Jesus now than when you were a year younger or two years younger or three years younger? Because most people don't. Most people believe less and less in Jesus. Once the mortgage starts getting paid down and the kids are leaving home, do you need God as much? Because actually you do need God just as much as you ever did, but do you feel it quite the same? Once you finish high school and you leave behind some of those high school insecurities and you embrace, embrace all the new university ones, do you still have that faith in God that says, God, I really need your help? Well, you do in the first year, but do you need it in the second year quite so much? Or have you got it sussed now? Because we need a strengthening faith. If we're ever going to allow this gospel thing to be real in us, we need a strengthening faith. We need to stop building our own little imagined self-sufficiencies. They're not real anyway. Are they? They're not real anyway. Do you need God today? Well, you know, if you don't, you know, just maybe you can take care of keeping your own heart beating. But the reality is we need God more and more. We need this strengthening faith and we need to develop a love for other people, which is proof that God's working in us, right? That's what we're after, isn't it? I like it. He doesn't pray for them all the time because he's heard that they're great singers. Oh, yeah, you guys are great singers. I'm praying for you all the time. He's not praying for them because they're super intelligent. Well, you know, they've got, oh, I've heard the Ephesian church, they're people with just beautiful jawline. They've just got a beautiful jawline. So many of them. Just really good-looking people. So I'm pre- no, it's, he's excited about the Ephesian church because he's heard that God's at work. You've got to remember the Ephesian church was between forty and 100,000 Christians in the city, in a massive trading city. They had so much impact on the city. So many people became Christians that it turned their economy upside down. Because less and less people were worshipping in the temples. They weren't buying the silver trinkets to worship in the temples. The silver trade collapsed. All the silversmiths started a riot and had the Christians beaten and thrown into prison because they destroyed the economy simply not because they went on a, they didn't set up a picket outside the temple. Stop worshipping Diana. You know, like modern Christians, you you gays are wrong. You gays are wrong. Well, actually, if the love of God impacts everyone in the world, will will we need to do that protest anymore? I don't know if he will, right? And that's what the Ephesian church was like because of the significance of what God was doing in them. Right, if you write a note, you can write this down. The first thing we've got to understand is there's a glorious plan or a glorious future. Have you ever spoken to someone who's got like a glorious plan? You know what I mean? Like someone, if you, if you go around someone's house, you know, it's like, it's like 40 square meters, but they've got a glorious plan. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the section is sort of, you know, waist-high weeds, but they've got this glorious plan. Do you know what I mean? Of an outdoor seating area, uh, you know, a pizza oven. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's, it's gonna, gonna add, they're going to add this on. They're going to add that on. Uh, they've got this glorious plan. Or you talk to someone who's restoring like an old car. Do you know what I mean? They literally have $300 worth of scrap metal in their garage. That's what they have. 
but that, that's all they have in, in their hand. But in reality, they've got this vision that's as real as the scrap metal. In fact, it's almost realer. And the more you talk to someone with a glorious plan, the more you start to see it, don't you? The more you start to feel it, you almost start to believe it, right? Because for them, it's a certainty. Something's captured their heart. It's real. It's a real glorious plan. Do you know what? plan, a future is a reality. It's not a possibility, it's a reality. You have a glorious future. It's a real thing. It really lives in the heart and the vision and the plan and the purposes of an eternal, all-powerful God, a glorious future for you, for your life, for your family, for your neighborhood, for our city. There's this glorious future. If you spend enough time talking to God about it, have it wander down Lampton Key. You can see a lot of people just busy with their work or have a walk late at night down Courtney Place with a friend for safety. You can see all sorts of trouble happening, but, but you walk down there talking to God about what His plan is for a city, what His plan is for our nation. He's got a glorious plan. And you don't get a hold of it just by thinking. You get a hold of it by the light of God impacting your spirit. Because God's at work in you, the glory of God begins to impact your life, and you begin to start seeing God's renovated picture of Wellington. You start seeing in the mirror God's renovated picture of your own life, of what His glorious future plan is. For you, do you know when the, um, when they um, when the developers first started selling what is now the Gold Coast, the Gold Coast of Queensland. There's a there's a there's a high rise building there that I've been to. Sixty, I slept on the sixty sixth floor. Pretty crazy. The um, but when they first started selling it. It was swampland, sand dunes, and more mosquitoes than you could possibly imagine. Crocodiles, that sort of thing, right? But what did the what did developers sell? They didn't sell swampland. Hey, come and buy some swamp. Come and buy some sand dunes. No, they sold a glorious plan. They sold a glorious future. And you know, a lot of people made an awful lot of money on the Gold Coast. Because they bought in. They didn't, they didn't buy sand dunes. Come on, Equipment Church Wellington. Yes, you're swampy. But let's buy in. Come on, Wellington. Oh, Wellington, this, Wellington, that. But come on, let's buy in. Let's buy in. Oh, can, I tell, can I tell you this? If you buy it, you'll never make more money buying in later. You always make more money buying in now. You've got to buy in. You've got to invest in this glorious plan that's got. This is how um, Paul says it in Romans. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God as living sacrifices, it says in other translations, living and holy. The kind that He'll find acceptable. Give your whole life to God, right? Buy in. Buy, give your whole life to God. Buy into this God thing, Right? This is truly the way to worship Him. So yes, the candles are good. The singing is good. Do you mean stained glass windows? I was thinking about stained glass windows. We don't have stained glass windows. But God, the yellow lights were just looking awesome during the worship. 
Right, it's all good. Yeah, we can worship God. The light's looking good and the singers can sing well. We can, we, can, we can read our Bible in the morning. We can pray. These are all good ways to worship God, right? But the way to really worship God is to just lay it all down, to really be in it, to really throw ourselves into investing our whole existence into this plan that God has, right? This God, gospel plan that God's. And then he says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world because they buy into everything else, right? But let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Other translations say, then you know what God wants you to do. Then you know what it's all about. Do you know what? If you don't buy in, you just never know what it's all about. Do you ever feel confused about your faith and about Christianity and Oh, how does, my, how does my faith work with my job? And how does my faith impact my family? How do I bring it from the imaginary into the real? One of the ways you bring it from the imaginary into the real is you actually invest into the glorious future that God has for us. You just say, well, I'm in it. I'm just going to dive in it. I'm just going to be part of what God is doing in the world. Amen? Here's a question. Is God at work in you? If He is, you have a strengthening faith. You have a developing love for people. If he's not working in you, he wants to be working in you. Once he's working in you, Holy Spirit begins to reveal this glorious future. The Holy Spirit begins to walk you around the, the, the backyard of your life, pointing at, you know, dirty old flax bushes and talking about pizza ovens. He, he's got this renovation idea for your reality. He's got this, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to walk you up and down your street with this revelation idea, this, this renovation plan, right? Friends of ours, or pe- people we know, well, is Patrick and Bronwyn Conaglin, who in in the investigation stage of what God's doing in Rio de Janeiro, that we've got our first missions teams going there in August. Um, they're connecting with a bunch of people in a favela. They're, they're ministering to people. People are getting saved, and, and the idea is to pl- to see an Equipus church established in a really, really a very, very big city. South America and Rio de Janeiro. They don't, it's, it's one of those big cities in South America that they don't actually know how many people are there. All right? You know Mexico City, do you know how they do the population count? By aerial photograph. Right? Because it's just a big city, right? But what keeps them going? They've got a youngish family, 13 or 14, down to about eight or nine, three boys. What keeps them going, living in a place like that? And um, lots of financial pressure. What, they sold their houses in New Zealand because they had to buy a business there to get visas. So they've got this business te- teaching English. What keeps them going? It's, it's not what they see now. That's not going to keep you going. Come on, what you see now in terms of the God's plan in your life, it won't keep you going. It might make you stop, but it won't keep you going. You've got to actually have a vision. You've got to actually allow the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we've got the strengthening faith. We've got love for other people. That's a foundation on which the Holy Spirit can land a glorious vision. Come on, if you don't have that strengthening faith, allow Him in. If you don't have love for other people, allow God in. Uh, And then you can get a grasp of the rich and glorious future He has for you. So point number two is glorious power. Point number one was glorious plan, but future is better, but I had to make it start with P. (laughs) So if you write future in brackets, but write plan because then all the things are going to be glorious and then P words 
all right? Um, but I don't really, plan's not the right word because then you, you think it's like a picture on a piece of paper, but it's not. It's this future reality God has for us. Do you know the future reality God has for you is, is more real, it's more real than your current existence. It's more real because it's what God wants. Your current existence is a mixture of what you want, what the devil wants, and what God wants. But your future plan, the future God has for you, is just what God wants. It's much more real because he's much more powerful than you or the devil. I have a cousin. Uh, he's a, a little over a year older than me. Um, and uh, when we were growing up, we were sort of a bit of a team. You know how cousins do that? They team up uh, around the same age. And we were referred to as the snot gobblers. Uh, it was our, our collective noun, the snot gobblers. And the name had some factual origins that we won't go into. Um, but it seemed to stick. The name sort of stuck, stuck into our early 20s. And we still referred to it as the snot uh, gobblers. And my cousin and I, we've rarely lived in, the, hardly ever lived in the same country. But on a few occasions throughout our life, we've been together in various, for various sort of adventures. Uh, and uh, when I was in the, in the middle of my teenage years, I lived in Parapram. And uh, not the Parapram of today, the Parapram of the mid-90s, early 1990s, which meant that I was a bogan. Um, and so I had a couple of motorbikes and a mullet. Uh, and uh, and in, in every way, I was awesome. I wore rugby shorts and gumboots, all the, the whole deal. Right? Um, my cousin's from Melbourne, and so he didn't get to ride dirt bikes much when you live in the suburbs, uh, like uh, where he grew up. And uh, he wanted to ride the motorbike. And um, my, um, my cousin is uncoordinated, right? I don't know, how many people are uncoordinated? Put your hand up, don't hurt anyone. Uh, the... Um, the uh, but my cousin's uncoordinated in a way that make, when I'm standing next to him, I look like, like Justin Timberlake's sort of main dancers. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not like uncoordinated like you are. He's uncoordinated in a way that changes perceptions, uh, and uh, he, he's, he's a phenomenon, right? Um, and you know, I explained to him, I talked to him, um, we discussed it over and over again. Um, you know, the way to engage the clutch, to bring the accelerator in, to, you know, to get it going all together, right? Um, but, you know, it didn't matter really probably, you know, if I was still explaining now, Tom's first ride of the dirt bike was always going to go the way it went. <laughs> right? Because you can, you know, power is one of those things that's hard to explain. Right? But once you've experienced it, it leaves an impression. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, it was one of those moments, you know, dirt bike flying. The thing about a motorbike is that once it gets going, you can't let go. Right? And that usually results in the throttle being jammed full open. <laughs> right? You have to relax to slow down on a motorbike. And so he just took off across the car park. And, you know, it was probably always going to go that way because he hadn't experienced it. Right? So Paul prays desperately for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that you'd, you'd come to know, come to experience, to know in the Scriptures is always to experience, not just to know about, but I pray you'd come to experience the incredible greatness of His mighty power, which he then says this crazy phrase, which is for us who believe in Him. The incredible greatness of God's power is not for Him. It belongs to him, but it's for us. Don't you reckon that's crazy? It's one of the outstanding things in the Bible, right? It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Because Christ wasn't raised from the dead so that God would be glorified. Christ was raised from the dead so that we would be glorified because God was already glorified. 
God didn't need to be made any more glorious, but we could all do with some shining up. Right? God's power is about making us glorious. It's for us. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and then seated Him in heavenly places. Then it goes on. It goes on. Far above every ruler and authority, right? God has given the name, it says in the other part of the Bible, God's given the name above every other name, that the name of Jesus. I love this. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Who are they? I don't know who they are. Right? This is the sort of power we're talking about that's glorious. And Paul's prayer, he hears about this church. They've got a strengthening faith. They're beginning to love other people. And he prays that man on top of that would land an experience of God's power. As soon as I say revelation, you're, you straight away you think whiteboard, you know, someone draws a diagram of God's power. We all go, yes, I've got that. Some people don't. They say, will this be an exam? Uh, that's not what God does. God's not about explaining himself. He's about revealing himself. He's a person. Do you know people? Tell me about yourself. Well, I don't want to tell you about myself. If you want to be my friend, let's hang out. And across 10 years, you can find out about who I am. Right? I don't want to draw a diagram about myself, partly because I don't know. God's not going to draw a diagram about himself. He reveals himself in Christ. He reveals himself in power, right? You know, Paul's pretty passionate about this. You know, I pray you'd understand it. I pray you'd know it. I pray your hearts will be flooded with light so you can experience his power, which is for us who believe, right? Well, Paul was preaching in a city one day, right? It's a city that denies the realities of Christ. He's preaching away. He gets attacked, he gets beaten. They drag him outside of the city, outside of the city limits, and then they pound him to death with large rocks. It's something that they did quite regularly. They knew how to do it, right? They leave him there, and they go back into town. You know, a happy mob. Hey, pitchforks in hand. Paul rises from the dead. The Scripture says he gets up. Now, this is a properly trained mob, right? They didn't do a half job of killing this guy. He gets up, walks back into the city following the mob, and picks up from point three in the sermon. The reality is Paul's not talking about something that he understands in theory. This is not something he read in Psalms. You know, it's not, this wasn't the word for today. He's talking about a reality in his own life where he, that's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. How does he know? He knows. He knows. It's the same power that meant he could float on the sea for days, then get bitten by a snake and shake it off. It's the same power that sustained him throughout what God had called him to do. Do you know what it is? It's the same power that sustains you in what God's called you to do. I pray you're not called to get beaten and killed with rocks. If you do, I'm happy to be there, though. If that's your call, I'll support you in it. But come on, you're called to something glorious, and you're not going to achieve it without experiencing God's power. I love the story of that, um, of the, the, the woman's actually, who, the lady who was healed, Sarah's actually from Equippers in Dunedin. I've met her a bunch of times, right? And uh, just an awesome story of God's power. Do you know what was awesome? is like Lizzie and Maddie are like, Lizzie's right next to her, 
and as God moves and heals her, Maddie's like two steps down, like this. Which, why, why is that awesome? Do you know, Austin was in that meeting, saw that lady healed, refused to go to the kids' program. I'm not interested in the games anymore. Why? Because he experienced something of God's power, right? I pray that you'd experience it. He said, Austin said, oh, I'm not going to tell you what he said. That's between me and him. Do you know, a few years ago, I had some trouble in my ankle that kept getting sore. Um, you know, and I've got sort of somewhat dodgy ankles from playing um, sports badly. <laughs> uh, people, other people play sports and they get hurt. I can, you know. Anyway, um, it used to just, every now and then it would click and then it would start to hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt, and hurt like hurt, like wow. Um, and it happened once when I was preaching in Invercargill and for some reason the pastor there had like codeine and something else and something else. I don't know. I don't know why he had that, but he was a happy guy. And um, so then the next time it happened was at home, and, and I ended up in the um, uh, A&E at um, Middlemore, which is, if you ever get the chance to go to a hospital, choose a different one. Uh, and uh, so I was in there, and they gave me some morphine, and it was like, it was, you know, I have a very, very low pain threshold, like very, very low pain threshold, but this was like I was sort of passing out type pain. Um, in the end... A couple of junior doctors, I know that they were junior doctors because they kept going in and out and they were looking at it. And what apparently a friend of mine who worked in the A&E assured me that they were doing uh, is that they were going to Google uh, and they were looking at diagrams of ankles because they needed to know exactly where to put the needle because they guessed that there was some bleeding in the middle of the joint. That's where the pain was. The joint was bleeding inside the joint. And so it presses out. Like, you know, when you get blood under your thumb, nail or your toenail, so it was a little bit painful, and they managed to, they, what, they did what's called aspirating, I never knew this till then, but they aspirated the joint, so they sucked the blood out, which is, and I was like, wow, I feel a lot better now without that there, um, but then they, I got referred to a specialist, you know, that, that little episode, that was 12 hours at the hospital, obviously, but um, I got referred to a specialist, went to the specialist, and, and he referred me to get an MRI scan, um, and he said, look, we're going to send you down for an MRI scan, and then he said this, you don't need to panic because it's probably not cancer. I was like, I thought I sprained my ankle. He's like, no, it's, he said, no, it's probably not cancer. He said, but um, there's actually nothing inside your ankle joint that can bleed. So that means that there's something in there that can bleed. And I'm like, oh, okay. So suddenly it got like a whole lot more serious rather than like I had a sore ankle now I'm getting, and, and so I went to the, had to go to the MRI scan, but that week I was at a conference, and um, the, the theme of the conference was really around miracles, and the guy was doing a mixture of preaching, praying for people, and getting people to pray for each other, and then he's like, oh, you know, there's, this, uh, there's some people here, if you, if you have any physical needs, just get, the, just get the person next to you to pray for you, right? And I'm like, oh, I could get someone to pray for my foot. Do you know what I mean? This is after three days of the conference. I could get someone to pray for my foot. And I happened to be sitting next to Russell Evans, which is always a lot of fun at a conference. Uh, and so we, you've been joking around for a couple of days. And then I said, oh, can you pray for my foot? So I put my foot on the chair. And it, was, it, we were the, it wasn't yeah, it was offensive to do that. But anyway, we carried on. And he prayed for about 20 seconds for my foot. Went to the MRI scan two days later. Went to the specialist a week after that. The, the specialist just said, uh, tell me again the, what happened at the hospital. I tell him what happened at the hospital. And he goes, they said they got 20 mils of blood out of your foot. And I go, and, and I said, oh, yeah, about that. I said, about that much in the syringe. I said, it wasn't much. I was just like, that much in the syringe. He goes, no, nah, it's quite a lot. And um, 
And he, then he just said, there's no medical reason why they would have been able to get blood out of your ankle joint. Show me where they put the needle. Uh, and, 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 and he just said, oh, it's a complete medical mystery. Come back if you have any more pain. And so I don't know what I was healed from, but I have experienced God's power in a way that's transformed me, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Right? We need, and then it says, so you can be my witnesses. We don't get to do anything for God without His power coming upon us. On the day of Pentecost, oh my gosh, I just dumped the page 14. Now I've got no words. Mm-hmm. Someone's like, hallelujah. Um, okay, on the day of Pentecost, All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there's a sound from heaven, a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It fills the house where they're sitting. Then what looks like flames, who knows what this was, but it looked like flames or tongues of fire, right? Come and settle on each of them. And everyone who was present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in another language as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now, how are you going to explain that beforehand? Well, this is what's going to happen. You'll be at the prayer meeting. Jesus didn't say that. He just said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it will be crazy. But you know, we need the power of God. We don't need to understand it. We just need it. Tell me all about how electricity works. I don't care. I just care that it works. Do I need to do you need to know how it works? You do if you're Jude and you're working with electricity. Otherwise you don't need to do it for long, right? But for, come on, we just need we actually just need God's power in our world. Amen. Because it leaves an impression. Number three. Oh, I don't know if we're gonna have time for three and four. Number three is that we live in a we seated in a glorious position. Number four is that we release His glorious presence. And it's turned into a double header, so you'll have to come out tonight. I didn't do that on purpose either, Tim. Hey, should we, I think we'll do popcorn tonight because it's like a double header. Because it's turned into a double feature, the sermon. So we'll do some popcorn. I'm looking at Laura. She's like, you can do what you want. I'm not doing the popcorn. Anyhow. Here's the other question. I, I want to wrap up now because I want to talk a little bit about Miracle Offering after I finish. But... The, um, a question we could ask ourselves is, is, is whereabouts in our life is, are things just not real? Is the, you know, is the gospel real in your family? Because I know in my family, it could be realer. You know, is the gospel real in your workplace? Because I work at the church, and he, at the church, in the church office, the gospel could be realer. And I think if in the church office, those of us who work there could get too focused on the mundane, angry with other people, negative about volunteers in the church, if we can do that, I wonder how hard is it to keep focused on the gospel in an actual workplace? 
right? If in the church we can get annoyed with each other and disappointed with each other and, and, and hold on to grudges for years and years and years, how hard is it in our families if we can't do it here? I think we could have a much realer experience of God. We could have a real experience of God that impacts our bodies physically. We could have a real experience of God that adjusts our emotions, that shifts our heart around, that deals with the things that are holding us back. We can have a real experience of God. We can not just understand in our mind, but receive the revelation of the Holy Spirit and experience of God's glorious future. Do you struggle out of bed on a Monday morning? I do. And if it's hard to get motivated about being a pastor, oh, how does the gospel, what does the gospel mean in my job? If I find that hard, and I do, because funnily enough, I'm a human. If I find it hard, I just cast my mind back to when I was a school teacher. And I went, I became a school teacher because I, I had this vision of being a real influence for good in schools. But after a year of school teaching, I just had a vision of shooting 11 year olds. <laughs> right? It's pretty hard, isn't it? Well, it's, not, it's hard if we're not actually growing in faith. Allowing God to work in our world. You know, the thing I'm excited about, about this message, it all begins with the growing faith, a strengthening faith, and a love for other people. Do you know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about the fact that God gives me His faith. And God gives me love for other people. So do you know, I don't need to work it out. I just need to allow God to work in my world. The foundation upon which God wants to build His glorious future in my life, the foundation upon which God wants to land His glorious power is a foundation that He will build. Why? Because He wants a good one. (laughs) He doesn't want a made-up Jordan version of faith or a made-up Jordan version of love. He wants to build this foundation in my life so that He can reveal Himself to me and through me. Amen. Can I read this from the message to you? When I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I did more than thank, I also asked. I asked the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing Him personally, that your eyes would be focused and clear so that you can see exactly what He's calling you to do. So you can grasp the immensity of His glorious way of life that He has for His followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of His work in us who trust Him. It's endless energy, boundless strength, and all this energy issues from Christ. God raised Him from death and set Him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power is exempt from His rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He is the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts, by which He fills everything everywhere with His presence. Do you ever feel less than glorious? 
Some people are nodding. Come on, we, do you know what we need to do? We need to believe God. We just need to believe God. We need to invite His work in our world. And we've got to do it because there's a glorious future at stake. There's His power is available and it's for us. You know we, know, we know that we're called to transform a city. We're called to have impact in our nation and influence in the world. We know that because we're a church. That's what every church is called to. Every sick boy, because we're the body of Christ. We're not a body of equippers. We're, the, we're part of the body of Christ, right? And we're called to be Christ in the earth. But we can't do that without God being at work in us, without it being real. Why don't you close your eyes and um, bow your heads and let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the reality of who you are, just the, the truth of who you are, the power of who you are, the goodness of who you are. Lord, your grace at work in us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for every one of us as, as we're gathered this morning, and Lord God, as we move out into everything you've called us to in our Monday through Saturday lives, God, I, Lord, I pray for us, these same words of Paul, that our hearts would be flooded with light, that we'd receive from you the information that we need. We'd receive from you the experience that we need. Lord God, that we'd be able to believe more, that we'd be able to trust more. We'd be able to, to see further your glorious future for us. We'd be able to uh, experience more greatly your power at work in us. And Lord, I pray just right across the room, if you know that you're in a space where you really need the glory of God, you really need this thing to touch you somewhere in your world. You need God to begin working at a deeper level in your life. Just open your hands where you're sitting. Just open them up as a way of saying, God, put your glory on it. Rest your glory on me, Lord God. Put your weight on me. Lean on to me, Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray for those responding right now. And God, I just thank you, God, that it's not just about a prayer, but Lord, you're going to begin to shift their thinking from today. You're going to move things around in inside their hearts, God. Lord, that we'd experience your glory. Lord, Sonia, I believe it. You're called. You're called. You're not in the school you're in by accident. You're called. I can see, I can just see your hands. Um, I, I used to do when I was in school, I used to just run my hand along the wall as I walked through the corridors. I can see just out of your hands, you're going to release the glory of God. And I really just, um, the challenge, you just to put your hands on the students more. Just, but lay hands on them. So when they come into class, just slap them on the back. And just and it's almost the glory of God's going to begin to impact them. And do it in faith. And you, I really believe you're going to see between now and the end of the year, testimony of some of these kids that you've, as you've touched them, you've felt actually like Jesus did. Power go out of you. And it's more than just who you are and how you teach. But that touch is going to release the glory of God. So Holy Spirit, we just pray right now for Sonia as a body supporting her. Lord, we just pray your power would be rest upon her in great strength that you'd anoint her hands. Lord God, that she She'd be able to release your glory, not just into that school as a structure, but into the individual lives of young people who are desperately in need of you. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Do it in her world. Holy Spirit, keep working in our hearts, God. Keep working in our hearts, God. Cool. Could we stand? I just, I, I just feel like God wants to do something more. Could, oh, could I get you to pray? We've got a little bit of time. Could, could you pray for 30 seconds? And something's going to pop into your head to pray about. For some of you, it's a person. Just give me a wave if a person just popped into your head. You just saw someone you could pray for. A couple of people. Just, so other, you, other you, it's like a structure. You feel, I'm going to pray for work. 
I'm going to pray about my street. If that's you, just give me a wave. Like a, how many people thought of a location, another country or like even somewhere in Wellington, thought of a location? Anybody? Nobody. That's all right. But come on, why don't we lift our hands like the Bible says, lift up our holy hands and let's pray. Come on, we are the holy people everywhere ought to pray by lifting holy hands. Come on, why don't you out of your mouth begin to declare, come on, God's glorious future. Come on, who's that person? What's the future God's plan for them? What's His glorious purpose for them? Lord God, we declare over Wellington City, Lord God, that this is a city called according to your purpose. Lord God, this is a place in which, you, Lord, you want to display your glory. Lord, in the same way that the waters cover the earth, Lord God, the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover this city. Lord God, over every height. Lord God, in every sphere. Lord God, in every family, every neighbourhood. Lord God, we just declare it. Lord, we pray for every church in this city to rise in faith. For every church in this city to rise with a love for other people. Lord God, that Your name be glorified. That Your people reveal You in this city. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said... Can we give God a shout of praise?